Uh, hello and welcome to Requires Improvement, um, a podcast that is now uh, on YouTube, um, which looks at the current UK education system uh, from a socialist perspective, uh, what's going well and what really requires improvement. Um, and I, my name is Nick, I'm a secondary school teacher and I'm joined by... Anu, um, currently teaching in prison. And Lauren, I'm currently a secondary science teacher. And I'm Lee, I'm a history teacher and a union rep. And my name's Charlie and I'm a supply teacher. Yeah, um, and we're really happy um, to have been asked by um, Ribs and people at um, The World Transformed uh, to do this, uh, this live episode today. Um, this kind of excellent political education doesn't happen unless we do it ourselves and it doesn't happen unless someone pays for it. Uh, so <laughs> either that has to be um, you if you can afford it um, or uh, if you have like um, a local transformed event in your city, like we're proud to be kind of associated with Bristol Transform sometimes, um, uh, you should get your union branch to give them money. Okay, that's that's a key thing. Unions have loads of money, and uh, they should be so they should be um, paying for stuff like this. Um, so um, in this uh, episode edition, we are going to be doing our usual thing of talking about what is so terrible about um, education. Um, but we really want um, your comments, um, so we need you to be commenting in the chat, asking questions um, about, I don't know, what we think, not that, not that we're the experts, but just, you know, we're, we're going to try our best to see if we can <laughs> tell you what, what to do. I mean, we're all like committed trade unionists and reps and, and things like that. Um, so we'll try and see if we can, we can help you out. Um, we also want to know what was terrible about your education. Um, what do you what have you heard about education what would you want to get rid of um anything like that um so get that stuff posted in the comments and we'll, we'll try and respond to as many um as possible um be you know we're at requires improvement we're not pro these new fascist behavior regimes um that exist in schools now like we're very much with no more exclusions um and the kind of abolitionist movement in that way but at the same time um don't be a dick in the comments um, you will you will be kicked out uh, sent to the naughty room um, so um, yeah I mean let's let's start, start off yeah. unless there's something I've forgotten that's quite important uh, I will just start um, so um, my requires improvement is you know the thing that I think really needs to change about the education system is um, that uh, I've had to go back to work um, which has been quite inconvenient um, for my life um, up until this point and um, it's pretty weird in school at the moment it's really really weird um, there's a lot of like new initiatives like my school has gone for a um, keep the year groups as bubbles yeah, so effectively yeah. 250 kids are a bubble they have the same lessons as they would have had they're, they're walking around school but like kind of segregated but not really um sort of washing their hands more but not really kind of keeping apart from other kids but also how effective that is spraying down tables and stuff after lessons in between lessons and stuff and um i don't know as, as one of our members at school said senior leadership are walking around the school like they found the cure for cancer um but all they've done is install a few more sinks and uh, there's very much just this kind of looming dread as the days get colder that we can't just have the windows open all the time 
and that what is going to happen when we get that inevitable there's an outbreak mm. happening um and like you know in our area like the, the the numbers are quite low but i'm just very aware that we're at a lot of a lot of risk i don't want to say we've got the most risky job um in the uk at the moment but it sort of it sort of feels like it i mean like doctors are in hospitals and things but like hospitals can like adapt and get more staff or you know funnel people out or not not take people on they've got ppe and hygiene is quite a big part of what they do and stuff mm. but um with us like i'm stood there my head of faculty put some tape on the floor i think i'm supposed to stand behind it <laughs> the kids on the other side of it i'm sort of talking sometimes i notice a bit of spit comes out of my mouth that's not to say what kids you watch them wipe their hands on like wipe their noses on their hands and chew pens and stuff like they ever did there's just this kind of feeling that like yes that's a big thing but also just like workload's gone crazy as well like literally everything before you do anything in the classroom now you have to double think yourself mm. and think is this wrong is this covid safe is someone seeing me not be covid safe and then like n- like so everything on a job has got 10 times harder like we can't go and stand by a kid anymore to tell them off uh we can't um get them to stand up and move around and switch partners and stuff because that's just all it's not covid safe so everything on our job has got more difficult we have to think about everything twice as much but all the slack's been taken out. So we don't have shared lunches with any other members of staff now. We've got these like split lunch things. So I'm, I'm just foreseeing some kind of disaster really with winter on its way. I don't know how the rest of you feel about, about that. Oh. Yeah, completely. Like exactly the same thing that we're doing at my school. Um, so year bubbles and they've done their very best to sort of keep each year group in the same area of school. Um, but there is still mix, you know, they're still going, having to go past each other in the corridors when um, we have, so they still need like, for example, a science lesson once a week in a lab, you know, they need to have access to IC facilities at least once a week, etc. So there is still some um, moving around with students and students sort of crossing each other on corridors. Now, um, I know that the school I work in, a couple of others are now going to make masks mandatory when moving around the school, like so, to try and deal with that. And that's, that's coming in for like in the next sort of couple of days. So that is going to be another thing that we're going to have to watch out for, you know, students without masks, what do we do? You know, if you've got, well, I'm, my biggest concern with that is if I've got a parent who might be really anti-mask, for example, which hopefully, you know, there won't be, most people are more sensible than that, but there is a contingent. Um, and it just feels like it's another kind of battle to fight, but it is necessary. The, the, how narrow corridors are in UK schools, there is no way that students, even if they're doing single file, there is no way there's no dro- mixing of droplets. Like that is absolutely happening. Um, and I think I think schools would be kidding themselves if they thought that they could stop transmission between year groups. What we're doing is reducing it. We're, we're just reducing it. There is no, there's no way you can absolutely physically do it in a UK school setting, in my example. Well, not in a state school setting, um, personally, that's what I think. And I've got a face shield now, so like, at least if I feel that I still want them to see my face, you know, I can do that, I have that option. And I know other members of staff are really concerned because they're, they've got people at home that are really vulnerable. So, you know, of course there's so much anxiety around it. And I, I don't, I'm not in that position where I have somebody at home that's extremely vulnerable. But if I did, that's another layer of anxiety and how would I be feeling about that? Um, 
uh, yeah, and that is another big concern. But is, is there another job where, like, bus drivers are heavily exposed to yeah. lots and lots of people, but that's quite easy to, like, just put a thingy up and cover up, and I, I, I suppose, and people got where things... Is there another job in this country where people are... At the moment, where people are being exposed to as many different filthy little people? Well, outside of the school building? Or... Yeah. To some degree, I'd say shop workers, like you've got the ones on the tills, but you do have people who are stacking shelves who aren't wearing um, masks, and I do sort of wonder about them or whether that's a choice that they made uh, or whether that's something that yeah, they're literally not allowed to. I would, I would assume they have more leeway that if they were more like comfortable to do it, that they'd be allowed, as opposed to a lot of schools where, yeah, they say that you're not allowed to. Uh, even if you want to. In primary, one of the reasons that was said earlier on, um, before we came back, um, was that it would make children feel scared, as if they're not already going to be feeling scared by the situation, as if that's somehow making things better. Like, the justification around not having masks is convoluted and sometimes contradictory, yeah. Yeah, OK. Um, well, that's mine sort of dealt with. Let's, let, let, let's move on. Um, Lauren, you're... you're... Your requires improvement? Yeah, so my requires improvement is just the absolute lack, still lack of true clarity about what the exams um, at the end of 2021 or, you know, the end of this academic year are going to look like. Mm. Um, I've got so many concerns and some of those concerns have been exacerbated by, exacerbated, sorry, by being back at school. Um, the biggest one is, for me, just knowing what the assessments are actually going to look like. When are they going to be? Are they are they actually going to be at the same time of year? Are they going to be in May? Are they going to be in June? Are they going to be even later? Right now, we do not know. So that in itself is concern number one. Um, what options do we actually have at the moment? Um, in terms of, you know, I, I would like to see model like teacher moderation. I'd like to go back to having teachers knowing that this year, um, we are at the end of this year, we're going to use teacher assessment just like we did at the end of last year. That would be amazing. And even if there was some way, magical way, in which we're not going to enter another local lockdown or even national lockdown, that at least that is set in stone and we can go back and really, really get those in school assessments what we can assess that we know we have taught them get that absolutely nailed so that we can moderate it and make it robust teachers students and and frankly like heads and SLT need to know this as soon as possible now my year 11s are already really really nervous they're they're back they're anxious you can see it in their face the difference in what they know and what they've done in lockdown is just alarming even within one class you know I'm reteaching really basic stuff that I would have taught at the start of the course because I've just forgotten it some of them like I mean completely basic things um, like how to draw an atom and then I've got you know some students who are sat there like oh miss like, I've, I've totally got all this like and so I'm I mean it was one of the most differentiated, le- differentiated lessons I'd ever taught mm. um that in itself is a massive challenge and I sat sit there and I thought oh my god because I've then got to get this lot up to speed like they've gone backwards so I've got to then get them to where they were even before, let alone to where they need to be. That is a massive challenge. Yet in the same class, I've got students that I'm pretty confident that would absolutely still race ahead because they have been so dedicated. Now, both those sets of students are going to be let down. One of them is not going to get my full undivided attention because they are up to speed and I can't then, won't have physically the time to really get them you know, pushed even further Whereas my ones that are basically like have gone back four months, 
you know, how, how can I, as one teacher, manage that? And I'm really worried about that. And part of that is knowing what are the exams are going to look like, what am I actually working towards here? So, it, sorry, does. carry on, yeah. Well, I was going to say, so in, in the English curriculum, mm. um, like, full disclosure, I don't teach in mainstream anymore, but obviously being sort of like someone that's very interested in how in what it looks like um the english curriculum it seems that they're going to make uh sections of it compulsory uh, compulsory and some mandatory so the thinking behind that is that um most schools will drop for example the poetry element in mm. um oh sorry, i can't see my face sorry um the <laughs> poetry element in in the exams um, because it is the thing that gets left till the end anyway. Mm. Um, it's very hard to teach poetry if you haven't had a curriculum um, that is focused on the process and like pedagogy and you've just had a curriculum since day one that is focused on output. Mm. Um, you haven't give, given students time to actually get to grips with literature, what it means to be reading um for critically etc so like what you do is you approach it in year in GCSE years as if you've never done it before and it's hard um so there's this whole like section of literature that that is like really fruitful really kind of edifying that you that you just fuck off essentially yeah um and they're happy for they're happy to do that to kids they're happy to um sort of deny them like what it means to actually study literature and they're happy for that to translate into them not actually having to do it to get an exam in a, a, a grade in it um so i don't know what it would be like in science like if you just were like right you you can kind of like choose which bit of the curriculum you leave out the impetus is just going to be to leave out the bit is the hardest bit to do because you haven't had any of the kind of like i don't know impetus yeah. training time to do that even even if it's really really valuable so i don't know but yeah, so i don't know how that translates in other exams like it is people like michael rosen have like been over twitter saying like friend of know, the show yeah friend <laughs> um yeah like how can you possibly deny a student of literature this kind of like whole kind of area of literature um it was simply because you know that it's going to be the hardest thing to pass. Like, it's going to mess up yeah. my, you know, my progress eight. That will come above everything, won't yeah. it? And not to mention the fact that because of, with um, certainly, I, I noticed with maths and stuff, and you've got different multi-academy trusts with all their different mm. curriculum leaders, and, like, so the order of teaching that I'm teaching in now this year is very different from my year 11s and it was from my year 10s last year yeah. and to the current year 9s and year 10s that I've got who are doing their GCSEs. So therefore, some kids in some schools will be taught different parts of the curriculum and have missed different things. Yeah. So that's the other thing about going, well, if they took something out, yeah. for example, I know, Waves, um, yeah, you know, school A has studied it, school B hasn't, yes. then kids in school A have then learn this stuff that they will get tested on yeah so it's you know they, they need to be very clear about what's happening and they need to be on it quickly because they've had i mean surely when april came around and they realized that this is this is months now off um now's the time to actually start thinking about this as well yeah but that, so they Can I, you know, go on um yeah so what's interesting to me is how little 
the reductions that are currently being proposed are uh, in sort of scale. Um, and that tells you a lot. It tells that, you know, the government still thinks this system has credibility, even though they've acted in ways to absolutely destroy that credibility with the disgraceful mishandling of, of the results this year. Um, I think there's an opportunity here, personally, to push for a complete rethink of what these exams are for and what these exams do to kids. Um, you know, one of the biggest reductions is obviously you've, you've already discussed the reduction on the English curriculum. There's a similar reduction in the history curriculum. And the fact that it's only those two subjects tells you how much they've... You know, they, that's actually an admission that these qualifications have not been fit for purpose from the beginning since the reforms of the con conservative, uh, you know, uh, liberal democrat coalition personified by Michael Gove. Um, and and I, 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 I think there's an opportunity here because public opinion, you know, has changed on this issue by dint of, they know that this is being driven by an algorithm. They know that this is designed to label a cohort of kids from the smartest to the biggest failure. And, and even in the absence of the exam, they will still try and label kids failures. So I, I just think it's interesting that they're still trying to rehabilitate. Well, it's, it's, it's like flogging a dead horse. That's all I really had to say on that one. Yeah, so, I mean, like, so in terms of what you can do about it, is there's, I mean, a petition doesn't solve everything, but like it's the start, isn't it? And like the NEU, we're all NEU uh, activists and reps and committee members and stuff. And, um, the first step there is like a is a petition. I think we're calling for um, reduced content in the exams or like optional questions, which kind of yeah. which used to be part of GCSEs. Anyway, it means, yeah. it means you can teach loads of loads of stuff, but there's no pressure on them to have memorised every single word in the in the textbook, which is kind of what it ends up being mm. like. Um, but yeah, again, I think just we need to keep talking about it and and talk about how much of a complete con the entire examination system is even when it functions properly it is not about giving people what they deserve it's about rationing good grades yeah there's only a certain amount there and there's this whole thing about grade inflation you know other it's been nice that other uh more left-wing kind of alternative media things have been talking about education a bit a bit more like a lot of this stuff was talked about really well um like really good points made about what what this worry about grade inflation is it's just like oh too many poor thick people are going to get to our universities like that's the kind of fear there um you know why couldn't we have a why do we need high stakes testing anywhere at 18 yeah. why don't we just have like good universities everywhere why does it why does it have to be a battle why does it have to be a fight to get into these places it's not in other like sensible countries um anyway okay that is that all sorted uh and if you've got a requires improvement yeah okay so i suppose we're hinting at this so this what the crisis is laying bare is um in education certainly is like the race to the bottom that is again like lee said it's sort of gathered pace during the coalition um and i specifically i mean you can see this in prison education um so it's not really i guess a kind of um a prescient like this is happening now requires improvement it's just a general one yeah. Because uh, I've had time to think because I've been working from home. I haven't been going into um, a prison environment to teach because, uh, well, they're essentially on full lockdown still. Um, double lockdown. Double lock. <laughs> what's that mean? Not that I don't worry. Doubly full lockdown, yeah. um, which is, uh, you know, sensible. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's sort of 
the lack of provision they have at the moment is is down to the fact that they have no remote access in terms of of learning so this is due to security reasons um uh you know but it's also this kind of othering of the prison population okay prison population they've done things deemed illegal or yeah illegal they've been put in prison we removed things from them um but but there's also this dual kind of thing with education for prisoners that it is it's essential to reduce like recidivism so you need education in order for them to be employed when they get out okay but we will not put any money into especially during this crisis any sort of digital access or remote access so what pr- what prison teachers have been doing is creating um work packs so like you know things that get photocopied off in bulk handed out to all the prisons like there's some sort of central organization hand out to all the prisons um in that particular like who were getting funding from that particular provider and then they're put, they're filling them out by hand and then put it put sending them back and trying to get them marks they're potentially getting marked they might not be getting marks but they're certainly not working towards any qualifications at the moment mm-hmm. um uh and i think this is just a kind of lays bare that like the lie that we were told as well in mainstream education that education has the power to transform like your lives um and that and that's what we're, that's why we're all doing yeah. it you know that's why you've got to do your best because the this student's life essentially in terms of their social mobility is in your hands um and it's 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 crap we all know it's crap i mean <laughs> you know um and so yeah so I've been thinking about that more because these inmates essentially haven't had the kind of education that students are getting where they have access to a computer, etc. Um, and I just wanted to talk about how I think it's it's because prisons are run like the theory behind the new funding formula. Well, that for prisons was the same idea that went into creating academies, mm, um, which. Yeah which in itself tells you that this is this is not about the process of education it's about outputs um and that's really really apparent with prisoners as well so like as a teacher i'm assessed on my success rate um in terms of how do they deem that so it is a basically so how many students were on your course how many did you retain how many went through the course from beginning to end um whether they passed or not is potentially not the issue here it's whether you've retained them and they've gone got gone in through in at the beginning and out at the end so they can tick them off as a student that then they get funding for oh i see it's the commodification of the education yeah so it's turning it into a a product that can be transferred and bought and sold which is um which is the number it's the turning it into a number yeah so so they'll only really they'll only refu- fund you know effective provision but what is deemed effective is not again that transformation or that you know you've, Just, g- you've given there? them yeah were they there <laughs> were they there did you manage to keep them in their seat you know did they not refuse to come and did they leave after the requ- the 45 hours of learning that they get um 
and so yeah it, I mean it's just it's horrendous so how like to what degree would in your opinion based on your experience do you think that prison uh, the people that run or, or the organisations that run these prison actually give a shit about genuine reform as that part of their culture um, well I mean like it, I think a lot of people in education have they might kind of like pay lip service to like we're doing a really important job etc but ultimately the demands on them are you know are funding based um so you know that there's no real will to try I have to say my department is you know we're given a lot of space to try things but if the funding is there which is like with any school um and it's also true that like how can this be transformative when and I'm sure like the the previous session talked about this how can it be transformative when like I think I wrote down some statistics like 42 percent of the prison population were formally excluded from school in at some point in their lives um and the whole you know the the numbers that that were previously in care as well Mm. is like you know astronomical disproportionate yeah like the expected literacy level of someone entering into prison is is like 54 percent of them have the expected literacy level of an 11 year old but to get a pass failed but to get a pass in gcse now you need a reading age of an 18 year old yeah i mean as a 16 year old and this is the other thing about these work work packs is that we've been producing work packs they're meant to be you know tailored towards a certain different levels of english or levels of literacy um but some of them are just like you know i would struggle to read a question answer it on my own in a cell like like make an effort pass it on to some to to a prison officer that puts it in a box and like we'll see if it gets marked do you know what i mean like Mm. it's um I mean, it is a hard job. What we've been doing has been difficult, and it's like we're understaffed. Um, managers are given way too much, have been given, you know, on the hoof, way too much responsibility. Mm. Um, they're having to do things that they've never done before. The accountability is all with them and not with anyone above them. So it is all very difficult. But um, yeah, I think this kind of, in a similar way to all in all education spheres, this crisis is laying bare. The the fact that you know education like what it means what it's there for is potentially not just a massive inequality yeah. you talk about technology and it's exactly the same like the level of you know once again this is whole the algorithm showed very much that it was all about income it was all about your grade is basically are you poor or not yeah. in the uk currently cool uh let's move on to lee's requires improvement um, thank you for the questions. There's some absolutely yeah. massive yeah. ones that we're trying to like unboggle our brains about, and we'll <laughs> we'll do our best. But you'll you'll just think we're rubbish, I think. But we'll we'll give it a go. But, uh, okay, yeah, keep them coming. Maybe some nice, like easier ones uh, where the the answer is like join a union or something. That would be good. Uh, so Lee. <laughs> Um, so my requires improvement is that uh, I think the education sector should be uh, basically taken out of the economy in that it should revert to a demand uh, based uh, you know uh, system um, which I know is um, pie in the sky utopian thinking but what we're dealing with in COVID is um, 
financial constraints are guaranteeing catastrophic outcomes, right? So just to give you an example, um, if you are a teacher who is pregnant and you are in your third trimester, uh, there is now a financial incentive for the school to attempt to make you come to work. Uh, they will write a policy, they will instruct their HR to uh, give you a risk assessment where they will claim that you are safe at work when everything that we've been discussing on this episode so far Clearly, um, there are clear and present dangers to all staff at the moment, but particularly pregnant women in their third trimester. Um, and the reason schools have to take this stance uh, is uh, because they need your GP and your midwife to sign you off. Uh, when that happens, the school can claim the costs of your cover, you know, getting a supply teacher to replace you, that can be done on insurance. Whereas if they were just generous and treated you like a decent human being, uh, the school would have to pay for it. So um, that's just one example. Um, big story on open democracy today. Um, a real um, inside look at some of the discussions happening in UK universities currently. Uh, the universities know they are not safe. They know that as soon as you let everyone back on campus, as soon as you're smashing big lecture theatres, uh, full of people, seminar rooms, they know that COVID will spread on campus but they can't choose to avoid that. Uh, they, their financial uh, constraints and incentives mean that they have to become sites of disaster before anything can you know, be done about this, um, in the sense that they need the government to order them to shut once everyone's in their accommodation and once everyone's paid their fees, uh, because to act safely would bankrupt them. And so, this is why, you know, and, and I think we're going to pick up on this when we address one of those uh, juicy, juicy questions about the role of education in the capitalist system. Um, this is just crazy. And, I, and as Anu said, this is laying bare the contradictions of the system. Um, it would be bad enough dealing with COVID in a socialist utopia, but to try and deal with it in a capitalist society like that of the UK, um, it's not going well. <laughs> I'll leave that there. Um. Cool. Uh, so we won't try and sort that one out just now. Uh, we'll do that later. Uh, Charlie, go ahead. Yeah, so my uh, requires improvement is based around my sort of experience, like whereas uh, Nick said about being yeah in this situation, having to go back to work, uh, I've not been able to. I had a placement in a school where I was going to be working a couple of days a week, which isn't the amount you'd usually expect for a supply teacher. But it was in these times I, I, I accepted it and I was like, that will at least keep me going. And on the Tuesday of the new term of the new year, I was told that that was not happening anymore and that that was cancelled. And what I'm seeing online on, on networks that I'm on uh, with some other supply teachers, this is happening everywhere. There are maybe 5% of the supply teachers who were surveyed um, in, in one sort of online forum said that they actually had long-term work, like what I was going to have, and um, that 75% roughly had had no work. Many of people have not even had a single call, and these are people who have barely had any income in the last, um, you know, six months. Some 
supply teachers have been able to be furloughed, but some have basically had to completely change their careers on the basis that there is just no more work anymore, no more security. And then if you look at the fact that if you do go into school, so we're being told, so my agency has contacted me, um, saying, call us up on uh, at 7am in the morning, like you usually would, but I'm very sceptical of what I'm going to be walking into. I don't feel confident that I would be told if I was covering for a person who, say, got you know, a cold or someone who, you know, has got a stomach bug or someone who's generally already got their positive COVID test. And I'm not confident. They might tell me, but I'm not, I'm not confident that they would definitely tell me. And yeah, the situations you might be walking into a school, like trying to hold itself together, knowing full well that it could be closing in, in, you know, a day or two and you're put on the front line to risk that and yeah, it's not going well, uh, to put it to put it mildly, uh, and I don't really know what the way forward is. I think we need to be supporting our supply teachers um, more as a union, but uh, exactly how that could look like. I know lots of people have ideas, but uh, it's it's really unclear to me what what the best outcome, well, how it can be achieved. It's it's yeah, scary. And it mm. must be really hard for supply teachers right now. Anyway, look. Um, I had a supply teacher who was in on Friday and it's bad enough when like even when you're you know imagine walking into a new environment and you you know you ask the the members of staff there like oh where's this where's that like members of staff currently now running around school from room to room going I literally don't know where I am <laughs> like sorry what I'm checking my planner like 15 million times a friggin day just because I'm like where am I now? What time's my break today? What time's my lunch today? Which which duty am I doing? Like, where is it? Which part of the building is it in? Like, which room part of the school am I in next? So when you think you've already got teachers who have been there and established going through that as well, as a supply teacher to walk into that, like, as well, obviously with everything you said, with the risk to your health, but certainly just the absolute... Everyone's going. Oh, it's all carnage, though. It's all yeah. carnage. Like, it is, chaos. It's chaos. Absolute yeah. chaos. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having talked, you know, um, loads of different reasons, you know, whether it's be someone off sick or, or maybe a course that was planned before, you always, like, almost always get the question from children, especially if they're feeling a bit anxious, like, why is, you know, the teacher, the usual teacher, not there? So that might be sometimes you know, sometimes, like, they do tell you, but there's it's no. Uh, guarantee usual in sorry in usual times um, whether or not you definitely know so you sometimes just go I literally don't know if they're ill or what's happening and that's the honest to god truth so if you've not been told or maybe if you have been told even if you say what you believe what you've been told to these children they still might have in the back of their mind even if you're saying your teacher isn't off because they've got a positive COVID test or symptoms, that they are feeling anxious, that it just feels more around. And so you're dealing with a situation, children, you don't know, and having, yeah, to support them with what's gonna be an even more stressful day for them and you because of everything that's, that's going on. And that's what's like, plugging the holes in the leaky system. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it's just not gonna, it's not, I just can't see it holding. Like my, my my predictions never come true, but my I predict will have schools will be closed by like the week before October half term, and then they'll be closed for that week October half term, and then a week afterwards. I feel like that that looks like where we're going because they'd want to like a big lockdown before, and then get them back in before Christmas and do some pretend things are normal for Christmas. But I just don't see any government initiative slowing the spread up to that point. And um, there's already like five hundred schools with cases in in England. 
Um, and that's not going to stop happening. Yeah. Um, One not too far from here, five confirmed cases and had to shut down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, within, what, the first week of being back? Mm. Yeah. Uh, and there's talk of, like, what could be done. Like, people were saying, you know, if we reduce class sizes, found a way... You know, we, we should have been doing this six months ago in, in the planning stages. You know, found ways to make, uh, you know, more room in, you know, temporary buildings and things like that, you know, at least, like, wherever possible. Supply teachers, rather than being unemployed uh, for months and months on and could be put to use... Um, I know it, I know it wouldn't be perfect. I'm not trying to t- say that that's like some sort of perfect solution that nobody else has uh, thought of, but it would certainly help uh, to reduce where possible. It would, I think, it would make a difference. And even yeah, in situations where it might be yeah higher risk in certain areas, I don't know to start there first. But this we're the whole force that should be utilised, and I think we're being yeah left completely in the dock and I think at some point yeah when when potentially things really hit the fan suddenly we'll be called on but it will almost like be too little too late and nobody's going to get the best out of the situation at all okay so um any good trade union speech uh follows the same formula which is uh anger hope action so that's the anger bit that's all the negative terrible everything's terrible sort of bit now we're hopefully going to try and give a bit of hope and, and some actions that people can do uh, and that's basically a way of me saying that I'm going to answer the, go for the easiest question in the chat which is um, can we put this one up it's like Madeline Spink what would be your top tips for new teachers uh, starting training this month beyond join a union uh, so I would say whether you're training or being an NQT um Joining the union, yes. Um, the right union, which is NEU. the NEU. Uh, <laughs> you can look. You can look up the other ones on the internet if you like, but they're not as good. And um, and uh, above joining the union, it's not. It's not an insurance policy. It's not a breakdown policy. Um, the point is, it's you working with coworkers. So if you're in a new school, and let's say you were you you, you were in the union. Um, uh, just because you were there and they had a nice pencil case, you know, the sign-up thing they have at university and they give you the free stationery and stuff. Um, the key thing is you join the union, you make sure your membership details are up to date and you need to find the rep in your school and you need to say hello, you need to introduce yourself. Then you also need to find other sort of uh, young or new or, or whatever, teachers that you kind of identify with in your local area that won't be in your local school. So you need to be looking up any kind of uh, young educator networks or um, you might be you know disability networks black teacher networks LGBTQ um, networks and you need to be going to kind of events and I'm saying this like this is all blown over but yeah there's online events as well um, any, any kind of like um, events with a kind of any political things with like a vague um, a vague kind of education bent to them and I just ask questions and say I'm a, I'm a teacher and then other people will be like oh you're a teacher and then, then it can start from there and if there isn't something being done for like, you know, educators of your uh, particular style, then you need to set one up. And like the whole point of the uni is it kind of gives you the, the resources and the confidence and like a few of the networks to start that. Because that's kind of that's kind of what we did um, a few years ago. And we're complete idiots and we don't know what we're doing. <laughs> but uh, the union gives us this uh, like false sense of 
uh, of confidence. It's a true sense of confidence. <laughs> yeah, true sense. Um, um, also, as well, I'd say the great thing about doing, looking up, you know, fellow people that are in the same situation as you is just feel less alone. Like I know it was quite. It felt really lonely when you're sort of training and. You know, you just feel like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. Like everyone around me who's been teaching for a few years seems totally to know what they're doing. And and I think just to see teachers outside of work and, and just feel less alone and you'll, you know, meet some, some amazing people. And yeah, I, I just, that's a great, great shout. I think that's a good point. And like, yeah, look after each other because that's something that I certainly felt that almost like uh, there was another NQT opposite me when I was doing uh, my training. Uh, all through the year and I remember supporting her and making her like leave the school because she would not leave so I'm like 7pm 7 7 I'd be uh, trying to drag her if I left her she might stay there until 8 or 9pm uh, sometimes uh, so looking after each other and I'd also say just follow your gut on like what's really important because uh, senior leadership and like people will tell you what to do like fill out these forms or do this that and the other that they, they will tell you they will swear blind that that's the most important thing for the kids and for you and it's not um, like obviously do your best to get it done but you know try and get it done it's like in the quickest like less least uh, time yeah time consuming and sort of aggravating way possible like don't slave over like files isn't it like you know whichever, whichever level you're at it's going to be different files and forms and things but focus on what's good for you and what's good for the children uh, and particularly long-term planning. Um, this idea that you're going to have your next year's worth of lessons planned out is frankly yeah. frankly ridiculous in this current environment. Uh, that's wasted time because I guarantee that plan will end up in the bin even yeah. with one week of lockdown. So, yeah. you know, let's just let's just fo yeah, focus on the kids, focus on your colleagues, yeah. and and don't be afraid to ask for help because yeah. training in this environment. I mean, you're going to get like a medal at the end of it. You know, at least you deserve one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we've covered all. Okay. Some pretty good points there. Easy one done. Yeah, easy one done. All right. So, uh, I was gonna pick like the the really big difficult one. Where is it? Uh, was it Cat Neil? Cat. Yeah. So, uh, can you really reform a system that was created for the reproduction of capitalist relations, though? Well, I would say to that. Is any is anything reformable under capitalism? Is it? Um, <laughs> I I want to interrogate the question a little bit because obviously we can talk about the education system as it currently is, in which case the assertion in the question is is fair enough. But education has been around pre-capitalism. You know, human beings have developed social means of reproducing knowledge. And um, they're already, you know, there are really successful models of how education can be done, even within a capitalist system. Um, so I can already predict some of the points that we're going to raise, and I'm probably going to ruin them by just listing them off. But full teacher autonomy would be a way to go, uh, actually allowing you as a teacher in a context that you are familiar with, whether it's your local one or one that you've travelled halfway across the world to thrive in, you know, Teachers should have the power to decide their curriculum and the means of assessment. Uh, and in other countries, that's not a controversial thing. But in this country, that's a very political statement I've just made. Um, and I also think in terms of accountability, uh, teachers should judge teachers. 
You know, we shouldn't have um, some remote, weird, um, quite sort of um, aggressive and bullying institutions such as Ofsted to keep us teachers in line. It's a totally sort of oppositional and um, uh, a system that expects failure and in many ways generates it. Um, a bit like the exam system, funny enough, but um, I, 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 what else do we think, guys? What else would fix this and what is possible under the current system? Um the purpose but actually finally reframing the purpose of education like what, what what do we mean like what do we want um and that's the idea isn't it is the fact that education should be encouraging lifelong in my personal opinion lifelong learning um and that it's not just about a set of exams the whole focus as we say on exams and lead tables to competitor like basically turns it all into a competition so everything like schools competing against each other and when that happens where's the collaboration where's the actual motivation for schools to really help each other and be like let's talk to each other we're all in the same system we all got the same purpose which is ultimately educating the next generation and i want my students to leave school like loving my subject and even if they don't i want them to leave like still wanting to know things understanding that the only reason i'm learning this isn't just so i can regurgitate an exam because I do think that at the moment that is the whole point of everything we do, and and like but, that that just needs to go. But I think we're like teachers are nat naturally subversive, and I don't think any of us would still be like it is like really negative what we do. And every so often, like a lot of us are involved in like teacher training, and sometimes you get like a slightly hippie trainee who's like not sure they want to do it um, or not because they're thinking, oh, I'm basically just brainwashing kids into this certain way. And I don't know, you could see it in a kind of uh, you know reproducing capitalist social relations and stuff. Um, but like Lee's saying, it's like they don't completely own us and they don't completely own what we do and in our classrooms mm. we're kind of in charge and actually if you think of it, the kids at our school and our school is like fought to keep a broad and balanced curriculum. The kids in our school leave and they've, they've had cooking throughout their school, they can bake mm -hmm. bread, they've learnt about all these different time periods in, in, in the world and they've learnt about slavery and how Bristol works and they've had a chance to discuss uh, philosophy and build things and do drama and dance and music with each other and like it is really negative and the exam system ruins like almost everything but like day in day out we are still improving people's lives and we're kind of yeah we're like you know and, and there's moments where they're free and there's moments where we're free and there's moments where we're like we're helping them to see what what really is important in the world and helping them to cut through the bullshit and um don't take our like negativity for the fact that you know we're still getting up every day and, yeah. and going in and slogging away but it's just so frustrating yeah. that you try and do something and you're just shot down for it but that's why you need unions and other people yeah. other like-minded people to boost your confidence in that in that respect no i was just saying yeah the, again the question uh, i was reading about this like this kind of functionalist tendency in reducing things so um the idea that the system sort of like the education system as it stands exists to like reproduce capitalist social relations it means that if you accept that then you can't conceive of any contradiction in this process or anything that comes to disrupt it um, and we know actually that things are disrupting it now so the whole mm -hmm. decolonizing the cu curriculums movement um, it's disrupting this this system like uh, and people know that education doesn't purely exist or at least it shouldn't purely exist even if currently um you know it seems like this it doesn't exist to reproduce these relations so i think um yeah so one thing i would say that we could we could sort of start to think about in order to reform the system is to is to start um 
decentering what is normal, like mm. you know what we've been told is normal. So like, you know, like pa- patriarchal patriarchy, um, anglifying sort of like or, or European Eurocentric history. Like I don't know, uh, none of these things should be at the centre of what we do because they aren't the centre and they're not normal. So if we start to like, yeah, kind of come out of the decolonizing movement and start decentering everything. So like, I don't know, ableism. So looking at, I don't know, special schools, what are they doing that, that is different from mainstream schooling? Um, because we've already decided that those kids aren't going to be able to get jobs when they come out of school. Um, and then they're not going to be like productive necessarily members of society um, or they're not going to function in, in our economy in ways that we want them to. But they're still going to school. They still have an education provided to them. So what is going on there and, and what can we take from it? So I think, yeah, it's um, like I'm a cynic and stuff, but I think if we start thinking, you know, like educate, it's, it's, you know, we can't reform this, then, then there's a problem. The other thing is like, we shouldn't overstate our role in their lives. Yeah. Like the yeah. idea that whether they get a grade or not is our fault is, is preposterous. Like the, the stuff that happened, that's the whole, one of the big failures about accountability is like, it's not a, like a literacy gap or a, a, yeah. an exams gap. It's a, it's a poverty gap. Yeah. And the stuff that happens in their life, like affects them so much more than like the few hours a week. Uh, we teach them and it's kind of the same with like the social attitudes around around capitalism it's like we're teaching zoomers or we're teaching whatever after a zoomer is and you talk to them about certain things and yeah they've got like some reactionary um things in their head about um you know about millionaires and billionaires and yeah they recite the, the kind of trash that their dad might tell them sometimes but on a lot of things they're like way more like uh, progressive than like yeah. the standard people in society and like and you know and even when they leave school like their first you know they used to say i saw this on twitter somewhere i'm not claiming this people used to say like you're a socialist until you see your first paycheck but people have like turned that on its head now and they're saying like, when you get your first paycheck you're going to realize that you need to be a socialist yeah, yeah, yeah. you can't afford life like you know you're told as a kid like oh what jobs do you want to do i want to be a lawyer oh yeah that won't exist yeah. because robots will be doing that by the way <laughs> You do this like like kids like year nine is choosing their careers. I want to be that that won't exist. Yeah, mate. Uh, probably probably won't exist by by that time. You know, so like it's not all our fault. Like, we, and we shouldn't beat ourselves up about it. We still you know we still need to do what we can. But like there are greater social forces yeah. out there that are going to be affecting material interests. Like essentially, capitalism itself needs to be reformed. Yeah. <laughs> if, we're, if we're gonna yeah, yeah, do you say make the massive educational changes that are required. I just had like a meta thought that, um, you know when kids always say that they, when they grow up they want to become YouTube stars, it's like, nobody ever goes on YouTube and does start, like streaming stuff, no one's ever going to watch you and be like, ah, what have I just become? <laughs> you can't even say it to them anymore, they could be right. <laughs> yeah, accountant. Yeah. No, 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 that doesn't mean that. Um, I saw a question about, like, parents and uh, teachers. It was yeah. like, did you see that one? Yeah, yeah, it was... Uh, Esther Freeman. Esther Freeman. How can parents and schools work better together to tackle the special educational needs crisis? Uh, the issue is a lack of lack of government funding that too often teachers and parents end up fighting each other. So, like, 
Yeah, that is interesting. We've had like local cases of where parents and teachers have combined together. You you do tend to win. Um, like some of us teach in like Tory counties, and um, yeah, they are they are susceptible to some arguments and pressure. But but it's right. I mean, is it true that all, always parents and teachers are fighting each other? Or I don't. Know, it's not completely that completely like that but like yeah we, it, it's difficult to, what we need is community organising yeah. yeah but then there's we always get to like a point of doing it in every campaign it's always a great idea to get parents involved but you kind of need parent activists yeah and you need to do the same thing that you do in schools which is like you map you map communities and you find who are the people that mm. who are the natural leaders in those communities that can then talk to people and um where, where we've got parents involved like in various strikes and other things it, it, it definitely worked like it's definitely yeah. worth doing but it's just like it's sort of hard because you need to crack the Facebook group. I mean, the first way to do it with teachers is we just, when you have union members who also have kids at the school, they're like a first way in. But it's still kind of difficult because, yeah, everyone's worried about this conflict of interest thing. Like, you know, Gove brought in all these rules that kind of make it easier for teachers to be fired for doing all the stuff that him and his mates do all the time. Um, and, yeah, and just doing kind of <clears throat> anything. So people are quite... People are quite scared, but at the same time, the second there's a parents group behind them, uh, teachers will be prepared to do anything. Like yeah. the kind of staff that would never, yeah. never think of going on strike or anything. So like, oh, I don't think about the kids. The second they get a whiff of like parental support, it's like they'll they'll be you know building the barricades and setting fire to the bins and stuff. It's like, and yeah. yeah, I think it's understanding that essentially teachers want to do right, but you don't become a teacher because you don't want to do right by the students that you teach. I'm not saying every teacher is amazing, wonderful human who will give everything, but in my experience, the teachers that I know, one of the, the core sort of things about them all um, is the fact that you do it because you really want to make children's lives better. Mm. And especially if you're working in a, um educational needs setting, well, you know, I, I've, I was really fortunate in my career to have taught um, SEN uh, students and it was so, you know, and I get it, but the frustrating part for me was just the stuff I couldn't do because of lack of TAs, because of lack of equipment, specialist equipment, like um, just the general bureaucracy within the system, the lack of um, resources and funding, and it is so frustrating. Um, and actually, I've, I've had some really honest comments, uh, conversations with parents as well where we've both, you know, I've had to say, I'm really sorry that the X, Y and Z hasn't happened, but I want you to understand that it's, you know, we need to really have our eyes open to the system and what we need to change and work together to change it. That, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, the the union can help. You know, if parents have a lot more spare time than teachers, we can fund your campaign. We can give it legs, we can give you advice and material support and put you in touch with journalists, you know. Yeah. And although it's only one aspect of, you know, the sort of rift that can happen between parents and schools and um, the teachers, but like around exclusion, so where like special educational needs end up, uh, yeah, the school but not being able to manage things and so becoming a behavioural element to everything and exclusion being like on the cards. No more exclusions do an amazing job already of supporting. They're getting bigger and bigger. They were on obviously earlier. So yeah, check them out, see how they can help and how you can help them and be part of it. Cause, yeah, they're not just a service either, like anything else is part of all uh, community building and doing it all together. But yeah, they do great work. So I think we've got time for like one more quick one. If anyone saw um, 
saw anything um, that we can like easily solve in <laughs> well, a couple of minutes. <laughs> um, what was it? Okay, so Anne, yeah, Anne Lazim, Lazim, sorry. Um, what do you think we should be doing collectively to make sure there's more diversity in the curriculum? So, anyone want to talk about the kind of decolonising things that we're? Well, I'm not doing anything, but the, the people <laughs> we we are collectively as a union in, mm. in the area are, are doing. Yeah, so uh, we set up. So, for example, just setting up networks. Start off with is a good place to start. Is to figure out, um, find your like-minded people who are really, really invested in this. That's a good place to start. Um, and so, I'm currently part of a Bristol decolonising science group. Um, and the idea is that we're currently basically finding, uh, you know, pulling our ideas together, and, and also you know what can we do as talk to our reps approach heads um make sure that this is absolutely central and key to to any sort of curriculum planning and talk to the people in your school um as well who are involved in that so if there is for example a cultural capital sort of lead or an enrichment lead within the school going to them and actually saying look there's all these amazing resources there's all these things that we've been working working on collectively together so it's almost like you're going up to them and going here's some stuff we've already done here's what we prepared earlier mm-hmm. like that that is really really powerful as well but yeah definitely get in those networks get talking to people um and really diversity in the curriculum i would also want to see more diversity in teaching staff in certain parts of this country as well and I think that's really important as well is listening to your colleagues um, who you know listen to to your um, global majority colleagues you know what what do they want to see and and make sure that actually so for example with the BLM movement that if you've got some people around you that are willing um, and want to kind of get involved in that that you're supporting them and letting them lead it you know being good yeah I was just yeah. going to come in, so like we, we don't talk about diversifying um, the curriculum, we talk about decolonising yeah, it, so you use that word, yeah. so it's, like, yeah, not, yeah, it's like not just having more representative representation in the curriculum, so we're having like, we're reading black authors in, in you know, English, or like we're studying LGBTQ scientists or whatever, so it's about kind of actually, like I was saying, like decentering like the normal um, uh, and sort of like kind of unpicking the context of all the all the things that we're told are like like this is science, this is fact, this is history. Um, and I would say that it's really important to like go from there and actually start looking at um, you know g- like kind of linking kind of oppressions or like marginalisation and and thinking about that you know coming out of the decolonizing movement and thinking about how can we center like all experiences yeah. of, of others in what we do yeah. um so i think it was really interesting that like um charlie when you were giving the advice to the person that asked about new trainee teachers and you were saying things like um like go with your gut and like talk to people and look after each other and like i think all of that all of that will help you actually to come out of what you're being told is the thing that you need to be doing and actually start to critically assess what it what yeah. it is I'm doing in this classroom to make it representative or to decolonise or to, to kind of make a change or whatever. Yeah, and educating yourself is really important. That's something that I've been doing, like obviously having time to, to do some reading that I've always wanted to do and really making sure that I learning so much and, and yeah, just educating yourself as well. 
cool. Well, I hope we've managed to answer some of your questions in some way that wasn't just like deflective and, and unhelpful. <laughs> uh, our Twitter handle is at requirespod. Um, you can find us on um, SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify. Yeah. Um, we are the original and best requires improvement. There's another one now, but don't, ignore, ignore them. Ignore them. Um, we're the socialist one. Uh, and um, yeah, big shout out to DLWT, big shout out to all the people organising and all that kind of stuff. Big shout out to all the other teachers in schools and the LSAs and educators and the janitors and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Support staff, yeah. everyone. Everyone. Big, big, big shout out to all that kind of stuff. Um, we need to go to bed now because then we've got to be up and teach tomorrow. But um, yeah, it's been great doing this. Uh, let's do it again sometime. Yeah. Um, bye-bye. <laughs>